We continue our series and we're up to uh, number 16, which is called Good Works. Now, many years ago, I heard of a scientist who was doing a PhD and uh, in the topic he had chosen, he'd become the world's leading expert. And he's on a radio program. The commentator said, oh, you must be so excited and so satisfied with what you've been able to achieve. And the scientist responded, no, not really, because the research I did found out that I was wrong and everything I studied was a total waste of time. And uh, it's sad that when we talk about things like good works, it's easy for us to throw ourselves into something and be uh, given a false motive or false direction. So sadly, some people uh, in doing good or think they're doing good are doing the exact opposite. And uh, it's interesting as a diabetic, the amount of people who love giving me advice and the number of advice I get that is actually really, really bad advice. And um, the best ones is someone says, oh, there's a miracle cure. It's only you know, $200 a month to buy these secret tablets. And you think, but it doesn't work. When you, and you show them the evidence, say, here's the research on it. It's false. They say, oh, no, that's, that's, that, that, your, your research is false. Those doctors are false. My, uh, my uh, stuff is actually good. Now, uh, terms of knowledge, going back to 1930s, this is one of the ads that would have been on the radio. More doctors smoke camel cigarettes than any other cigarette. In the 1940s, every camel tastes so good. And I don't need my doctor's report to know that camel cigarettes are mild. And if you looked at a lot of the advertising for cigarettes, they always had doctors telling you how great cigarettes were and... Uh, Doctors would actually advise people, say, oh, look, you're stressed, you should take up smoking. And of course, you look back now and thinking, that's the exact opposite to what people should do for good advice. So when we turn to Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 16, on good works, it starts with this in section one. Good works such as God has commanded in his holy word. Now, it's interesting, in terms of, from God's perspective, good works are godly works. To do God's will is to do good. Now imagine uh, very few preachers would ever actually preach on good works as a topic because they'd be fearful that people are sometimes thinking that their good works is what saves them. Now the scripture is very clear. When it comes to salvation, it, it is what Jesus has done that saves us, not what we try and do ourselves. So our good works as Christians is in response to the gospel and in response to salvation, not the cause of salvation. And our Bible reading we had today in Ephesians chapter 2, let's uh, grab some of the verses again from verse 8. For by grace or by God's free gift you are saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. And then the next part talks about good works. For God has uh, created you for his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We have created four good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. So our good works in response to the gospel, not the cause of salvation. So what is good? Anything which is the will of God. That's why it's so important to read the scriptures. One of the things that uh, deeply attracted me to uh, becoming Presbyterian is I realised that uh, all the books that I love reading most were by Presbyterian authors. So I want to really understand a topic 
and the Presbyterian authors would uh, go clearly and give me the whole counsel of God and say, here's all the Bible verses put together on this idea or this concept. And so it wasn't just plucking a verse out here and plucking a verse out there. It was a passion to know all of God's will. Now it's sad, there are a number of people who are false teachers and if you belong to a false religion, the more committed you become, the further you are from the truth. And so the zeal that you throw yourself into the wrong direction is zeal that is taking you the wrong way. There's this lovely uh, husband and wife driving along in the car and the wife says to the husband, look, I, I think there's something wrong. I think we're going the wrong way. And the husband said, don't worry about it. We're making really good time. <laughs> now, this is our trouble. So what is good? In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. And the Apostle Paul, when he encouraged the church in Rome, in chapter 12, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So in other words, as we look into the Scriptures, as we seek God's will, and then apply it to how we live. Or as it says in Hebrews 13, Equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. God, not us, not society, not our culture, determines what is right. Now, very sadly, often when a law is passed and legalizes something, people say it's legalized, therefore it's not wrong. It's not immoral because the government said it's all okay. So the Westminster Confession warns against this. It says, be careful of things that are devised by men out of blind zeal or any pretense of good intentions. And where did that idea come from? Matthew 15 says, In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Or as Isaiah 29 puts it, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And they fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Was it says in Romans 10, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So zeal without scriptural foundation to what they teach. Now many people are zealous uh, and love giving advice. But the problem is that sometimes people's advice comes from their own mindset, not from what scriptures teach. On every issue we need to seek the scriptures and seek out the whole counsel of God. In the second section of the Westminster, it says, These good works done in obedience to God's commandments are the fruit and evidence of a true and lively faith. And by them believers manifest their thankfulness. So in other words, as we seek God's will... As we live God's will, it will impact those around us. As it says in Psalm 116, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. So who does God see us as now? In 1 Peter 2 it says, You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for my own possession, 
Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. In other words, as we live lives of grace, as we are gracious towards others, as God is gracious towards us, people can see the difference. One of the great scriptures is, they will know we are Christians by our love. There's some people I've been helping recently who used to go to church and uh, they're in a crisis situation now but they, they don't have any church network to support them and there's this real sadness in the sense of thinking you've lost so much when you walked away. You had uh, people who would pray for you, who would care for you, who would look after you, give you meals and they would be there for you. They were family but you've walked away from your Christian family. So why do we do good works? The first thing it says, it will strengthen our assurance in our faith. So in 1 John 2, For whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. So the more godly we become, the more secure we become in our godliness. The more we work, walk in God's ways, and the more we become effective Christians, we will seek to do God's will. In God's will, we'll find our true calling, and our true purpose. So our good works, as we seek God's will, should build up the body of Christ. So we should be encouraged in thinking, how can I love my fellow congregation members? So the Westminster Confession then lists a number of the reasons why we do good works. So the first reason is that we should be edifying or building each other up to encourage each other. So Matthew 5 tells us in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. The second thing it says is that uh, it's to adorn the profession of the gospel. So in Titus 2, be controlled, pure, kind, that the word of God may not be reviled. And when Paul was talking about the different roles within the family unit, so we think of father, son, wife, daughter, but the other one he added into the, the family household was slaves, because slaves were part of the bigger household in Jesus' day. And this is what he told to the slaves. Slaves, regard your masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teachings may not be reviled. So if you were a Christian slave, it would so impact your master that he'd think twice. I read a very interesting thing last night of a very, very famous uh, Christian and he said that he was led to Christ by this other man and the other man had become a Christian because of his secretary. And you say, what did his secretary do? He said, the, uh, the man knew that she was a Christian and saw his, her incredible moral integrity and so admired her integrity. He said, I want to have the faith that you have. If this faith makes you this type of person, then I want that faith. The third thing it says is that the idea of doing good works is to stop those, uh, the, the, the comments of adversaries, that we should be without sin and uh, be morally upright and trustworthy people. I worked uh, with a, a lovely man who, before he uh, became a minister, worked in the trades, and it said that uh, his boss would only allow him and him alone to do jobs outside of the factory. And he said, you know, why am I allowed? You know, there's better workers than me. He says, yes, but I know that when you go and do a job, you do the job and you come back. You don't spend the whole day just bludging and uh, taking it as a day off. I know that you have 
moral integrity, which was a great thing to have. The fourth reason we do good works is actually to glorify God. To glorify God through our actions and that others will glorify God by what we've done. So in 1 Peter 2, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So there's a sense that we should be people that others trust. There was an interesting case where um, there was a Christian man over in northern India who uh, was doing some unscrupulous things in business. And uh, this person came and saw his pastor and said, you know, this guy in your congregation, he's been immoral. Could you have a word to him? So he went and had a word to the man and, and he, he spoke for like 10 seconds. And uh, the man then walked up to the minister, went to the guy and apologised profusely and says, I'm so sorry for my, my, I haven't acted without integrity. I'll never do that again. And the man walked over to the minister and says, I can't believe it. He, he changed like that. What did you say to him? So I went up to the man and said, this guy believes that your morals are so bad that you must be a Muslim. Oh. <laughs> he then said, no, you're right. I'm not a Muslim. I'm a man of integrity. So why do we do good works? Because that is what God has created us to do. The more we do good works, the more we find who we really are. So it says in Ephesians 2.10, our Bible verse for today, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. So we are created to do things that are good, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. So we are designed to be helpful. We are designed to be loving. We are designed to be caring people. That's the very essence and purpose that God had from us from the beginning. The sixth thing the confession says is that um, it is the fruit of holiness. So there in Romans 6.22, But now you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the fruit that will lead to sanctification or lead to holiness and in its end, eternal life. In other words, God has designed us to be holy people. He didn't design us to whinge. Matter of fact, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that you have the gift of complaining. I have a friend of mine who says he really feels that God has given him the gift of criticising everyone and that his role is come and criticise people so they all know what's wrong with them. And uh, the more I talk to him, I say, you know, I don't think that is a gift that comes from God. You're actually not encouraging. You're just pulling people down. Then in the third section of the Westminster Confession, it says, their ability to do good works is not at all of themselves, but wholly by the Spirit of God. In other words, it is God who empowers us. And the more we seek God's will, the more we become godly people. So it says there in John 15, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So God really sees that we need to be centred, focused in Christ and Christ alone. He goes on to say, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. For anyone who does not abide in me, he is thrown away like the branches and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown to the fire and burnt. And so there's this really true sense that the more... You put Christ as the centre of your life. The more that you live a life of grace, that you become gracious to those who are around you. 
So in Ezekiel 36 says, I will give you a new heart. I'll give you a new spirit that I'll put into you. And I'll remove your heart of stone and from flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to work in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So scripture from beginning to end says that we are grace driven, not works driven. I have a friend who struggles that each week his minister will say to the congregation, here's all the things you need to be doing to prove that you're a Christian. And it's doing, 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 doing. It has nothing to do with grace. So grace should define our good works. We should be acting as God is, as gracious and loving towards others. So it's easy for a preacher to create a to-do list to be a good Christian. However, it's works-driven, not grace-driven. Our behaviour should come from the point where God has forgiven us and caused us to forgive others. As God loves us, so we can love others. The closer we get to God, the more it will drive our grace reaction. So it says in Hebrews 6, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the same assurance of hope unto the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises of God. Was it says in 2 Peter 1, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, who called us to his own glory and excellence. So God hungers for us to be Christ-like. And the last verses of Jude says this, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And it's interesting, as you are right with God, so your behaviour comes right. If your behaviour is not correct, then come back to the source, which is God, and say, God, forgive me, bring me to repentance, cleanse me. The closer we hold to God, the more it empowers us to do his ministry. And so how do we define the whole Christian faith? And I love it when I used to be at scripture, I'd say to kids, you know, being a Christian is really easy. There's only two things you've got to do. They go, oh, really? I said, that's right. And this is where the answer comes from. Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. Number one. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So how do we summarise the whole Christian walk? Love God, love your neighbour. And those two things should undergird our very thoughts of how we should do things. In section 5 it says, We cannot by our best works merit pardon of sin or eternal life. And so very much this careful say, Don't mix up your behaviour with your salvation. Our salvation is Christ-given not us earned. And the more you become conscious of what Christ has done for you, the more it frees you up to help other people. So what does the Bible say about you and I? In Romans 3.20, For by works of the law no person will be justified in his sight, since through the law becomes the knowledge of sin. 
When I was at uh, Moore College, we had these lovely old ladies uh, from Fred Niles' organisation come because they wanted to give every student in the, uh, the whole of New South Wales a copy of the Ten Commandments. And these lovely old ladies said, oh, if every person has a copy of the Ten Commandments, they'll read it and just say, oh, I'll do all those. And I'm thinking, no, we can't do them. The more I read the Ten Commandments, the more it makes me aware that I am a sinful person. And when Jesus does the Sermon on the Mount, he looks at another, the, the Sermon of the, of, the, of the Ten Commandments and he goes back to the heart and soul of each commandment and said, you know, examine the deep inside yourself. You may not actively steal, but what if your mind is that of theft? So what does it say about you and I? In Titus 3 it says, Jesus saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. He has saved us according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he's poured out on us richly through Jesus our Saviour. So that you and I have been made right with God or been justified by his grace, that we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. One of the interesting things about uh, adopting and fostering children is that um, you will often pick a kid to foster or adopt, not because they're the loveliest kid in the children's home. You might pick them because they're an absolute brat. And you say, I will pick this child because I know I can love this child. And through my love, that child will have the confidence to be changed. That's the same with God. God adopts us while we were yet sinners. And through his love for us, it helps us express his love towards others. So if this is the case about how good works work, how should you and I therefore live? 1 Peter chapter 2 says, you are like living stones, being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our forgiveness empowers us to forgive. God's love for us empowers us to love others. The more we tie ourselves to God, the more it empowers us to be a godly person. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, forgive us for the times where our arrogance makes us think that we save ourselves. Father, may we always seek your will, have a desire to do your favour today until eternity. Amen.